You are now listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast. If you've listened to us for some time or even just a couple of episodes, you know that at the end of each show, we dedicate the episode to a former king whose jersey number matches the episode title, that old chestnut. But I'll be damned if this episode is dedicated to anyone other than Jonathan Quick. <laughs> this is Caro. How are you tonight, Vardy? Hey, man. I'm exhausted. <laughs> That game took it out of me. We're recording this right after the uh, the two one win against Anaheim, uh, in which Jonathan Quick looked like vintage Jonathan Quick, circa two thousand twelve. Uh, just a tremendous performance, tremendous, tremendous performance, getting the game, uh, getting the Kings to much needed points. It, you mentioned being a nervous. Isn't it great being a mess like this? Don't you miss it? <laughs> I missed it so much. I, I was watching the Kings game, like maybe TMI here, but I was in the shower, like streaming the game on my phone and I had a speaker on, like listening to the game. <laughs> this is quite the setup you have. And trying, yeah, well, you know, can't miss, can't, can't miss Kings hockey I down mean, the stretch when it matters. It's been a while. <laughs> and at the same time, I'm like, like looking through or just trying to look through the glass at my phone to see if any of our buddies are updating the Ottawa game, Vancouver game, I should say. It's just... I miss being a disaster like this. I really do. My voice is hoarse. I'm so happy right now. Even if they don't make it, I'm just happy right now that we're feeling these emotions. Oh, yeah. I'm totally there with you. Like, I, I think I told this to you. I was like, I think these next four to five games are going to be more fun, potentially, than if the Kings actually do make the playoffs and what the first round ends up being. Because I just feel like there's there's that energy there's that vibe there's that like something significant is at stake here kind of situation you know yeah you and, did mention uh, that to me and absolutely man and the energy when you have a group of people who like the same team you do the text messages start getting a little more frequent yeah the you whatsapp know, was blowing up yeah some people like you haven't heard of or not heard of heard from in in a little while texting you silly questions like are you watching the game <laughs> like yeah no, no. <laughs> no what game <laughs> i'm watching the game and i'm checking every relevant out of town score uh it's nice it's nice and now with vancouver falling in overtime or shootout and the king is picking up two points if you believe in the sites that give you a playoff percentage if you trust those things right now all across the board the Kings are 90% plus to make the playoffs. That could change in one game, as we know, but it's a good feeling to see that with four games remaining. Yeah, and, and it's been a while since we recorded, obviously, because, you know, things happen. And uh, anyway, but uh, it's it's interesting that Vancouver is now the one that we're worried about. And we're certainly not the only people to be talking about this, but what a run they've had since Bruce Boudreaux took over. I mean, house on fire basically since they took over now leapfrogging Vegas in the standings Vegas continuing to uh falter a little bit despite the fact that they're healthier now Mark Stone threw some cap gymnastics back in the lineup Eichel healthy and it's it's fun man it's fun to see all this kind of back and forth where every night 
things are shuffling around, but somehow still the kings are just staying just above the fray a little bit, you know? It is fun. And any kind of... Anything that resembles the demise of Vegas is always fun. <laughs> and uh, the guy from Sinbin, I think his name is Ken, who I really appreciate his work, and I think it does a great, great job for that fan base. Went on Twitter yesterday, had a Periscope, and he just went at the team, and I loved every second of it, and he made terrific points. And if you hate Vegas, I don't really hate Vegas, but if you dislike Vegas, <laughs> I recommend you check it out and check him out because he is an honest kind of guy that covers the team and it was just so enjoyable so enjoyable for me yeah i i i echo your sentiments about him uh i think was it last i forget now if it was last year i think it was last off season when vegas made a bunch of moves that just seemed like a lot of bad faith moves he he's pretty much the biggest vegas hockey blogger i think that's that's safe to say um and you know he was extraordinarily critical of that team for a lot of the same reasons that that you and I as just more general NHL fans were critical of them that they kind of you know went after mercenaries they they brought all these players in but they've kind of lost their heart they made a lot of bad faith decisions and introduced a lot of bad vibes I think into that team which you're still seeing the fallout from right now they've got all the talent in the world they've got a, a payroll that you know defies logic and they have to manipulate things to even make it possible for them to have all these great players play and they're still not finding that that gear that you know juggernaut persona that they used to kind of have uh the last couple seasons and i think a lot of that you and i have talked about this uh, you know on prior episodes i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they constructed a great team on paper but it's it's a bit of a heartless soulless team in my opinion right um we covered that i think in great length the last episode and i think the yeah just to put a bow on it because we don't want to talk about the golden knights right, right, right. all that Sorry. much I, I think they got no no it's it's unavoidable right i i wouldn't be surprised if they come up again in this show so the success they had early on ends up being a curse to them and not a gift because they mm -hmm. their eyes got real big they saw that they had a window and and they just started collecting stars and started collecting salaries and lost the fabric of the team and what made them special to start with the key components the coach the goaltender a couple of players that they just kind of cast off essentially in favor of big ticket players who obviously are tremendous talents i think jack eichel's still playing well mm -hmm. you know i'm sure mark storm's playing well, maybe to a lesser degree, Pacioretty, but there's going to be a mini blow-up with that team if they miss the playoffs. Uh, it won't be anything earth-shattering, but I think some big contracts are going to be moved out, and they're going to have to reevaluate everything. I mean, they the problem with them is they missed on – I can't even say they missed on prospects because they traded prospects, but they right. really missed on Cody Glass, unfortunately, for them, who was kind of pegged to be like that second wave kind of – player mm -hmm. and the second wave doesn't exist anymore because tuck is gone krebs is gone cody glass is gone now to nashville but you know not because they got some mercenary they got nolan patrick in that three-way right. deal so right i think their their problems are are bigger than this season unfortunately for them maybe fortunately for the kings but the kings man you know it's 
they're winning games or like collecting points, but you don't feel that they're gritting them out. They're really <laughs> eking by outside of that Chicago game. They're really having to work for this to get to the playoffs. And as exciting as it is, you do wonder when they get there physically, mentally, how drained are they going to be from this stretch run? That's one of the worries I have. Yeah. I mean, what was this? Their 40th one goal game of the season, something ridiculous like that. And um, to a certain extent, and they've asked McClellan about this too, to a certain extent, he likes to say that they're comfortable with this, they're they're comfortable with the discomfort, so to speak, of these one goal games, these tight games. Um, but I can't imagine that if given the option of like scoring six goals a game or something crazy like that, or averaging three and a half goals a game like Florida does, that that any coach would turn that down. Um, we're all pretty well aware of the the advanced metrics and everything that indicate that you know they're shooting from high danger areas. They've controlling a lot of puck possession that for all intents and purposes, statistically, they should be scoring more goals than they are, and they're just not. Um, so in some ways, it's a credit to them to still be able to win games like this, even though the end results are not necessarily matching up with what the predicted results would indicate. Um, and on the flip side to it, you do wonder, like, man, why can't we just get these goals? You know, even tonight, I think is a great example. I think they came out really, really strong in the first period. They had on the one power play they got tonight, which by the way, I think that was absolutely absurd that they only got one power play tonight. But the one power play they had early on in the game, the movement was great. Gibson had to come up with two or three really big time stops. I I thought for sure with that kind of vibe with what they were bringing to the game that they would get way more than two goals tonight. Now Gibson stood on his head in the first period. Kings get into some penalty trouble in the second period and it all kind of falls apart. Then they pull it back in the third. And quite frankly, through another super strange goalie interference call that required a review to get overturned, that whole sequence does not make a ton of sense to me. But I mean, these, I guess this is just what I'm saying. Like, the things that this team has to kind of go through to even get two goals in a game like that, when I think they're playing well, is is kind of crazy to me. And it's not one game, it's not two games. This is clearly how the team is constructed. Um, and if everything works out well and, they're, and they end up playing the Oilers in the first round, which seems like the most likely matchup if they're third in the Pacific, I I don't know how well you can really play a game like that against the Oilers. I really don't. Yeah, you know, there's a different school of thought that says the playoffs automatically become tighter checking and you're going to have to win 3-2 games. You're going to have to win 2-1 games. And someone can make that argument, but man, against Edmonton, it's hard to envision. Even Let's say it's a four-game series, whatever. Let's say the Oilers sweep the Kings, whatever. Which, by the way, would not disappoint me. I mean, would I be disappointed? I would be disappointed personally if it's a sweep i'm just saying like it's it the oilers aren't the avalanche okay i understand Uh, but no let's say it's a sweep um i have a hard time imagining it'll be a sweep where every game is a one or two goal game yeah you know what i mean or Mm -hmm. if it's a seven game series if it goes to the distance i I, it's hard to imagine with edmonton you're looking at four two three two 
two one. It's just it's hard to imagine. Yeah, you're gonna get a couple games like that, maybe if you play a perfectly tightly checked game. But to do that across the course of a seven game series when there's between game adjustments and things, I mean, that's that's hard, man. That's really hard to contain a team like that. It is hard. If if you know you put Edmonton in Anaheim's spot today, the doors probably get blown off the Kings, if mm-hmm. I'm being honest. If you look at the expected goals in all situations, Anaheim 3.13, LA 1.59. And if you believe in the <laughs> deserve to win meter from Money Puck, which I always find entertaining, uh, Anaheim 73.9, LA 26.1. So, you know, it's not exact, it's not perfect, but it tells you a story there. The Kings got outplayed today for the most part. Jonathan Quick bailed them out. That being said, you got to find ways to win. And your goaltender happens to be part of your team. And he found a way to win. Now the Kings have the opportunity to, um, I believe it's Chicago next. Correct me if I'm wrong, Marty. I'll take a quick look here. Um, Whoever it is, it's either Chicago or Seattle. I forget. You're correct. It's Chicago on Thursday. Now you have the opportunity to reward your goaltender who will probably have the net all the way out. So these things, I I feel, find a way to balance themselves out and – Amen. Just get the points, get in. Because in many ways, the Kings getting into the playoffs is the finish line for this team. And that's what I mean when I was saying I wouldn't be disappointed. I think from a from a from a macro kind of view of things, right? If I if I view the four to seven games that might happen in the playoffs as a part of the entire season, I I would not be disappointed if the last four games or last seven games or whatever end up ultimately leading to an end to the season. Because to me, them getting into the playoffs is is a huge accomplishment for this team and this group of players. I would love to see them do more damage in the playoffs, but I realistically I don't expect that yeah, given I, given I, the I, opponents that they're probably going to be matched up against, I guess is what I'm saying. I agree with you. I think my disappointment disappointment would be in a vacuum, in a kind of a shallow feeling more mm-hmm. than anything. Not so much, you know, that's going to wear off pretty quick. And when you step back and look at the season with the injuries, now Drew Doughty out for right. the season and the playoffs, probably Mikey Anderson out likewise. Right. Um, you you gotta be level headed and realize. That's the accomplishment is making the playoffs. And that's good because now you have a foundation of expectation and now you can build on that going into the off season. So overall, you got to be happy. I think at the end of the day, you got to be pleased with what you've seen out of this team and just the emergence of guys that now you look at, you know, we thought Philip Deneau, we questioned the signing, but now you're like, okay, this is now a true core piece of this team moving forward. Mm-hmm. A guy that we cannot do without straight away. And that's a great feeling. You know, Arvidsson, to a lesser degree, but you now consider him a core player. Trevor Moore is now a core piece of this team. Jersey. Mm-hmm. You can't envision. Spence. Yeah. Uh, them, I think, you know, there's a lot to sort out in the back end, so I don't want to. No, no, I, I mean, like. They're, they're NHL players. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, they're, they're, no, no, they're sure. in the lineup. They're, they're NHL players, barring trade or some kind of reconstruction of the defense. I think they're NHL players. Um, so 
those are the positives you take. I think goaltending, I think the goaltending situation still has, it's got to be sorted out some way, right? I mean, I don't think there's any question that Jonathan Quick, I mean, we, we back Cal, we like Cal Peterson, but even his most staunch supporters, which you're listening to two of them right now, I think we understand that this is Jonathan Quick's net in the playoffs. And probably all the way through the regular yeah, season. Yeah, I was, was going to say, man, I was going to say, like, they kind of, you know, in, in my opinion, they kind of, in some ways, they set Cal up for failure. And this is in no way taking away from some of the lackluster performances he's had throughout the season. I think he struggled. There's no question about that. Um, I think Jonathan Quick has handled this mini platooning a lot better. But at the same time, I think the coaching staff has sent some mixed signals here and there to them as to what the expectation is going to be. Like sometimes they stick to this like very hard line, one game quick, one game Cal setup. And I think from a goaltender's point of view, that's at least having a clear plan and knowing when you're going to be in net next is is helpful for you. You prep mentally, physically, et cetera. And then they deviate from that plan, which most recently happened between the Chicago and the Colorado game. And, you know, I can't imagine that helps Cal's psyche, so to speak, when you go from a back-to-back situation against Chicago and typically the expectation, even if they weren't doing a platoon, would be that Cal would be in net the next game. But then you throw Quick in there Quick gets three quick goals against him. Maybe not the best goals, but then again, you're playing perhaps the best offensive team in the NHL, so it's not terribly shocking to me. So at that point, you backpedal and you throw Cal to the Wolves, coming in cold against a team that's already down 3-0. And then he he makes the situation worse. Yeah, because it's it's also a situation where you can't pull him. Exactly. Exactly. You can't so, be relieved in that game anymore because the game's over and you're right. going to go to quick next game. You already know that in your head. So Right. So so now you've completely thrown off that rotation. You've sent mixed signals to your goaltending as to what the plan is. I understand going back to quick tonight, especially given his success against Anaheim over the last several years. No question there. But like you said, after after he puts on a show like that, do you do you play Cal next game or do you play this mental game of like, oh man, we need the points. Quick's playing well right now. We're going to ride quick again. You know, I, I just don't know. I, I feel like a lot of the problems that that Cal has encountered this season have been of his own making, no question. But I think a lot of them have also been from the decisions that have been made by the coaching staff that have messed with his ability to play and play through bad patches that he's having and show signs of like riding the ship a little bit. Um, and to be fair, I don't think it's, I don't think it's exclusive to the goaltending too. the first half of the season, Trevor Moore was struggling mightily and it wasn't until they found a home for him with Deneau and Moore I and mean, with Deneau and Arvidsson that you started seeing the type of player that I think we saw end of last season and into the world championships, et cetera. And, and McClellan was quick to admit that that was part of the problem. They had a tough time finding a home for him up and down the lineup 
it completely threw him off. It didn't make him a bad player. It just didn't really give him the type of setting that you need to to excel, to develop a little chemistry, to develop a little bit of a rhythm. And I think we all know that goalies are amongst the most rhythm-based positions. Absolutely. So anyway, that I'm, I'm kind of waxing on here, but I guess my point is that I agree that they're probably going to ride quick out for the next four games, which is only going to compound, I think, the problems that they're having with Cal. Interestingly, they're, the last two are back-to-back at Seattle, at Vancouver. So depending, I think if they're clinched in that Seattle game, then yeah, maybe Cal goes. Um, I can't imagine Quick doesn't play against Vancouver. Right. And here's the thing, though. If, if you need that Seattle game to clinch, and it comes down, or, you, you know, the magic number is six, and the Kings are have beaten Chicago and Anaheim, and they need two more against either Seattle or Vancouver. Mm-hmm. You know, do you? I wouldn't be surprised if you just go quick Seattle, just and 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 end it. If he, in your mind he's the guy, yeah. And if you don't, if Seattle pulls the win against you and it's down to that last game against Vancouver, then you put yourself in a in a situation again where right. And this is what I'm saying. Like how much, you know. How it, many is, double... it is weird. It is, but I mean, if there's any good news, is that they have a three day break in between, and if you're right. going to go back to back with quick twenty seven, twenty eight, you should at least be rested. But yeah. it's, it's, here's me... what I would do. Here's what I would do. Okay, okay. Let's see if you, I agree with you. You have to give Cal the Seattle game. I agree. No matter what the situation is. I agree. Even if it's a clinching game, I think you've got to get put him in that position for me- two reasons. Uh, number one, so you have quick against Vancouver, which could be the biggest or most important game at that juncture. Mm-hmm. And two, just to give him the confidence that like, hey, man, this is a clinching game and we're going with you. Yeah, and, because I would imagine that if they get into the playoffs, they're not going to do a platoon. I think they're going to ride no, quick. They're gonna, yeah, quick's, quick's got the crease. I think everyone, unless like he gets, you know, the first two games and anything just gets demolished, like, right. you know. Five goals, four goals. Then you you probably see Cal at home. Right. That's happened many times. It's it's an age old strategy from coaches, right? Which I don't think will happen because the Kings tend to be a better road team, and Quick is a big money kind of playoff goaltender. So I think those two things are in his favor. Me personally, I would give Cal the the Seattle game. I'd actually also play him against Chicago. I really would because I think you're clearly going to put Quick back in against Anaheim, right? Again. Same reason you played him tonight, and he's given you nothing but evidence that he's going to do well against Anaheim, and you're clearly going to play him against Vancouver. I think you put him in against Seattle. I think, I mean, against Chicago and Seattle. You know, and it, was, it was quick who got the 5-2 win against Chicago. I know. I know it was. <laughs> I know it was. I'm just putting it out there, not disagreeing right. with you. Right, but they also put up five five goals on Chicago, right? Yep. It wasn't as tight a game as it's been against Anaheim, as it was against um, Columbus, et cetera. I think you, I don't know, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm thinking kind of long-term, and long-term I mean two, three weeks, not like two, three months. I don't think Cal has done so egregiously terrible that you have to hold that Colorado game against him and be like, 
no, 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 you can't possibly play against Chicago. You're going to, you're going to screw this up. You know what I mean? I think that's fair. Um, I don't think it's going to happen, but I think it's fair. Yeah. I think he's going to get one more game. I think yeah. the Seattle game. I think that's a good spot for him. And I think the reason being not just the points, but quick familiarity with Chicago, Anaheim, Vancouver, like these are teams that he's beat over and over again. So yeah. And if nothing else, you can look other places in the lineup and see that McClellan is is gravitating to the veterans sure. to get through this last little spot here, right? Byfield and Velarde now scratch two games in a row um, in favor of Lemieux, Athanasiu getting back in the lineup. Um, I don't disagree with it. No, nope, I, I really I, don't. I borderline support it. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, part of me, of course, is like, well, I want these guys to get this kind of experience. I want Byfield, Velarde to get the experience of these important games and potentially playoff games so that they can build on that, right? Like that's the whole point of this. But at the same time, I understand that a coach's job is to win. I understand that a coach's job is to get into the playoffs. And it's hard for me to disagree with, with Athens CU in particular, getting back in there. I think when he's healthy, he's a tremendous player for this team. Lemieux has had a little bit of a tougher time, I think, getting back in there and um, being separated from Lazat might be, might be the issue there. Truthfully. Um, it seems like who's ever playing with Lazat these days seems to do a much better job <laughs> evidenced by I follow and Brown having much better performances the last several games with him. I would, uh, yeah, I think I'd be surprised if I see Byfield or Velarde. In place of Lemieux. To close the season in general. I mean, mm. unless the Kings clinch, against seattle magic number six and maybe they get into maybe they get into the vancouver game i don't know yeah but i'd be surprised if the kings are still kind of battling all the way through i'd be surprised to see them again i'd be surprised to see them in the playoffs yeah it's tough man it's It's tough tough, but you know i think with byfield it's he's 19 years old yeah you know it's his compete is not an issue i think he's just learning the game with velarde who we've always supported and loved i think it's nut cutting time like it's time you know all all excuses are kind of sort of going out the window here it's like you're you either got to do something to stick or you're not going to stick i think it's it's getting to that point with him it's not that he's played poorly i don't think he's played poorly i think there's been stretches where he's him and byfield specifically and their line have played really well they're creating Mm -hmm. Um, they're making things happen, but at the same time, are you impacting the game? Are you doing anything that supersedes what everyone expects from you? You know, that, that kind of goes beyond the status quo of what Gabe Velarde is. And I think it's time, it's time to kind of jump that hurdle or go away. Well, and yeah, and, and it's mean, hard for he's... me to say that because I love his style of game. I love his, he's creative. Right, he can. I feel like he's tailor made for the power play. He doesn't get that time, but I feel like his future is in very much in special teams, specifically on the power play. He's a smart player, but you get to a point now where it's like, okay, you know, the Kings have guys chomping at the bit in the AHL to play in this lineup. 
how are you separating yourself from these guys? I mean, even simpler than that, how are you separating yourself from a guy like Athanasiu or Lemieux, whose whose lineup spot you would be taking, right? Like that's these are the, these are the options put in front of the coaching staff, and I know what Lemieux brings, I know what Athanasiu brings. I know what the expectation is of what Velarde or even Byfield are supposed to bring to the lineup, but if it's not happening, if there's no tangible production, all of the effort, all of the the nice you know shifts here and there, it doesn't mean much if you're not getting the numbers that you need to win games. I think in these in these extremely crucial games. Now Kaliev is getting in the lineup. He's not getting a ton of minutes, but he's he's getting in there. Um, Kupari. He hasn't. Kupari. Yeah. I mean, it's it's tough, man. I get it. I I it's it's a weird balance to have to strike as a coach, where you understand that part of your responsibility is to get these younger guys experience because they will be leading the team for the next two, three, four, whatever many years. But if you as a coach want to be there for those two, three, four years you also have to win. And and if those aren't the guys that are going to win the games for you, I, I I understand why they're not in the lineup. You know? So we mentioned Drew Doughty out for the year. That includes playoffs. Mikey Anderson, not as clear-cut as that. I believe he was, he's been seen skating in a non-contact red jersey. No real timetable, nothing... I don't. I didn't see any information or anything like that. I don't know if you did, but no. And that's kind of the scary part is that we we kind of had that same lack of information when it came to Dowdy, and then like one day it was like, oh, he's out there and he's skating, and then like two days later, it was like, ah, actually, he's done for the season. I was like, hmm. It's, it's I I don't take no news as good news in these scenarios. I guess is what I'm saying. Right. So the Kings, man. It, if they are to make the playoffs, they're rolling in with a top pair of Alex Edler and Matt Roy, who I think they're doing fine defensively in terms of metrics and stuff, but if they're your top shutdown pair, that's a little scary mm-hmm. against Edmonton or anyone, really. Um, I know Stetcher, Stetcher was a healthy scratch today, right? Is mm-hmm. that correct? Um, I think so. Moverari. So there's that option to kind of swap them out. But at that point, I mean, I don't see a distinctive huge difference between those two players in terms of impact on your lineup. So it's going to be, it's going to be tough sledding for the Kings, you know, even through the season, I think they'll, they'll do enough to make the playoffs, but once the playoffs start, it's going to be interesting to see how they fare against that offense. Yeah, I, I didn't. Uh, Edler really struggled tonight against Anaheim, and the pace, shiftiness. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's he's not meant for that, right? Like he's he's very much a, and he was never the fleetest of foot, from what I recall. It was very much like using his size, using the spacing, yeah. and IQ. And the, yeah, yeah, you know, good stick position, that kind of thing. But against these shiftier, smaller players. Um, who aren't necessarily just you know staying around the perimeter or anything like that. They're they're cutting in and out. He was really struggling the foot speed 
and the ability to turn quickly and keep up with them. And he ended up taking two stick fouls because of that. So, you know, if you're, if you're struggling against the likes of Troy Terry and Sonny Milano and Trevor Zegers, uh, you know, best of luck with Connor McDavid and, and Dreisaitl. Yeah, the Oilers, I don't think they're an exceptionally fast team. They're, they're deceiving. I think there's some deception with McDavid in that he's so fast that you just think, oh, the Oilers are a fast team. Mm-hmm. I, I think Dreisaitl isn't an exceptionally quick player. I think he's just a very solid and skilled kind of a center. And then you look around the wings, like Zach Hyman has speed, but he doesn't have that kind of speed and shiftiness where you're like backing up. Um, Evander Kane certainly has lost a step and he's more of a power forward type player. So I think maybe they fare better against Edmonton than they would against the Zegers, Milano, mm-hmm. Terry kind of trio. That's all just youthful exuberance and just trying fun things out there and having a good time, know that right. they're not going to make the playoffs. So that gives me a little bit of hope. But yeah, I mean, it's still a little alarming if they're going to be paired up. If Edler's going to have to match up against McDavid. If that's your top pair and you're sending them over the boards, any chance you can get against McDavid, I think that's a little worrisome. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's it's the, it's the shiftiness. It's the elusiveness. I think Dreisaitl is great at finding soft spots on the ice. You know, you don't score 50 goals a season or whatever he's up to now, like, without knowing placement. And and he's got a quick release. And McDavid, yes, he's, he's not just straight line speed fast. He's north, south, east, west, up and down, corkscrew. <laughs> you know, like, he's just fast movements, deception, lots of shoulder movements and things like that, that I think a guy like Edler is going to get lost trying to cover a guy like that. You know, this, I think those are the situations where not having Dowdy really, really stands out. I think Dowdy, even though he's certainly later in his career, he's still capable of uh, impeding those guys. I think if Dowdy was healthy tonight, you would have seen a much different game throughout most of it because I think he would have been able to stop those those chances a bit better than uh, Edler was tonight. Yeah, I agree. Giuliani's never been an exceptionally good skater, I would say. Well, I should, I should take that back. He's an excellent skater, but his, his speed I don't think has ever been off the charts. But he's, he's quick enough now and still – a very skilled skater or enough of has still has enough of that skill to combine that with his intelligence that he could virtually contain any right. player in the league. Right. He's, he's got a tenacity to his game too. You right. know what I mean? It's, right. it's a, it's again, it's that same spacing and stick positioning, but with body positioning as well, that I think he's still tops in the league and doing, you know, yeah, in straight line speed, yeah, he's going to get beat, no question. But he's going to find a way to angle you and even in a stop-and-go kind of tighter situation to prevent you from getting a decent pass or a decent shot. Um, I think that's that's one of those things that we've really been missing this season. And really, probably one of the biggest reasons why we've had so many close games. It, to miss a guy like that who's also who also was having a tremendous season um, statistically, not just defensively, uh, it's it's a credit to 
this team that they've been able to stay afloat and excel despite that, right? Like you got to figure that if Dowdy's in this lineup, you know, how many more points would they have in the standings right now? Six to eight, right? That seems pretty reasonable to me. I think so. I think so. Uh, we talked about, you know, we're talking like vir- uh, Edmonton's a virtual lock for the second, but uh, they do have six games left, two in hand uh, on the Kings. And they have three tough games, maybe four. Mm-hmm. They got Dallas, Colorado, Pittsburgh, Vancouver as the tough teams in my mind. But depending on where Vancouver is by the 29th, that might just be a throwaway game anyway. But yeah, things could look, some things could change around here. You know, percentage wise, I think it's far, far more likely that the Oilers and the Kings would meet in the first round with Edmonton having home ice advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, but they got some tough games, man. Yeah, the Pacific is just wild, man. And it makes me kind of not to not to put the cart ahead of the horse here, but it makes me a little bit uh nervous already about next season you know i i look at the east eastern conferences standings and stuff i think they've been set now for like months basically maybe not like mathematically but realistically they've been set for months you know it's clear which teams are making it It, it, they've all got x's and e's next to their names in the standings yeah they're locked in now yeah yeah exactly the Pacific, man, I feel like whatever it looks like right now could be completely different next season. It, it could be any any number of these teams, maybe except Seattle, um, but any number of these teams could be up and down. I mean, Vancouver is a completely different team now with Boudreaux coaching them. You see how quickly Calgary turned around this season compared to last year. Vegas, for as much you know, dirt as we just heaped on their on their current state they can still they have the the stars and the players to be in the thick of it edmonton is edmonton right excellent at certain things and extremely questionable at other things and so i think the onus is really on the kings here to kind of take this momentum into next season and and really push it even further you know yeah show that this wasn't a flash in the pan kind of thing no, I think the roster can be and maybe should be very different next season for the Kings. You can't. You mean externally or just internally in terms of like prospects and stuff? I think both. I think there's got to be some kind of. I think there's got to be changes. I think at some point you're going to have to take that next step and finally move some prospects for likely a defenseman. I don't know what they would do, who they would get. I'm not even going to try to yeah. prognosticate that right now. It should be a waste of time. But I think it, <laughs> I think after you make the playoffs, and if again, if they do, and it's likely they will, and whatever happens, it's a first-round exit, whatever the case is, I think you can't not take the next step with the roster now. I think there has to be a next step. I think you got to come out of the offseason with a better roster than Vancouver, at least on paper. I think mm-hmm. you have to, mm-hmm. and, and keep in mind that you mentioned the Pacific, but the entire West, yeah, has that ability to flip. I think Winnipeg, for example, that they're going to miss the playoffs, but 
You mean to tell me you don't envision Winnipeg coming next year? You love the Jets, man. <laughs> I do love the Jets. I, I don't blame I, you. They got a great roster, but I just I, I love how much you love the Jets. Like, but look at you know Connor Hellebuck had a pretty bad season for his mm-hmm. standards. You tell me you can't envision him having a bounce back because the Jets can. One thing they're always going to be able to do is score. Yeah. And don't be surprised if they swing a big trade or something, move Shifley and get some like a big one-for-one trade, something like that, for a center, and all of a sudden, here you go. So it's up and down the West, I think. I think the teams that are kind of rebuilding will will stay there, but there's no reason Dallas isn't coming back to make the playoffs. There's no reason Nashville isn't coming back trying to improve their team to make the playoffs. So the West itself is just – it's wild, man. Minnesota's not going anywhere. St. Louis Mm -hmm. isn't going anywhere. Colorado, I mentioned them. I think Calgary is, is locked in with Sutter. They're going to be a threat for years to come. So it's – Kings got to get better, man, and significantly. You can't – you know, you can't roll into the season with this roster. I think you got to make upgrades. Yeah, I agree. And I guess that's that's the point I was trying to make. You've done a much better job than I did is I don't think that you can look at this season's results – no matter where they end up in or out of the playoffs, even just even if it ended today and they had 92 points, I don't think that you can just look at this team as it's structured right now and how they played this year and go, oh, well, next year will definitely be better because the prospects will be one year older and Dowdy will be healthy and, and Mike Anderson will be healthy and, and Walker will be healthy. You know what I mean? I I understood why they didn't do anything for the trade deadline this year. But I agree with you that just assuming that all of the internal improvements that are coming will be enough to keep up with the rest of these teams in the West. I I don't think that's realistic at all. I think they lucked out in a lot of ways with how things shook out here. You know, Vegas not necessarily being the Vegas that we knew. Vancouver um, taking a little bit extra time before they made coaching changes and now clearly playing like a much better team. I think, and again, I'm not, I'm not in these meetings with them. I have no idea, but I hope to God that they're not just like patting each other on the back and being like next season, boys, next season, it's going to be even better than this. Like, I hope there's some objective evaluation of, of how they got here and what they need to get here again. And then some, because you know, you're still, yes, you're competing against yourself and your prior year's performance. But if you're looking to get over these hurdles and still maximize the players that you currently have on that roster, you're still going to have to get across Colorado, Edmonton, you know, all the, all the teams that you just mentioned in the, in the central, like they're not going anywhere. So it's up to you to, to keep up with them. I think. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, but uh, that will sort itself out mm-hmm. in our favorite time of year, the off season. Oh, the best. Although we don't hate the playoffs, we just forgot what it's like to be in them <laughs> a little bit. So yeah, and then hopefully we'll you know there is potential for some players to to come from the prospect pool next year as well. That can be very exciting. I know Brent Clark is hurt now. Sounds like his season is done. Uh, he's going to need some surgery, I think, for a lower body injury. But I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be given every possible opportunity to make the roster next year, too. 
So there is there is some help coming internally, but I do agree with you that some fun stuff can happen, some crazy stuff can happen in this offseason as well to really push this team to the next level. Yeah. Uh, so not much else going on. I don't think Eastern Conference-wise, like we talked about all, that's been pretty pretty well settled. Uh, NHL scoring races, you've been, I know you've been keeping up with Austin Matthews. I think I asked you this before, but what are your thoughts on that, like, 50 and 50, quote unquote, kind of thing? Yeah, it's it's crazy, isn't it? Like, it's such a well-defined kind of milestone. Like, you have to play, you have to start the season and score 50 goals in the team's first 50 games. Mm -hmm. So if you get injured and miss one game, it... You, you don't have the record. You have to be healthy or you don't set the milestone. You have to be healthy. You have to play in all 50. And it's got to be the first 50 and you got to get 50 and 50. And anything else doesn't matter. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of wild. Um, I don't know Which how truthfully, I feel if it wasn't it. for Wayne getting 50 and 36 or whatever it was. Like, was <laughs> I don't 30, know if anyone... 39. 39, yeah. Like, I don't know if anyone would be that, you know hardcore about defining this when when you have records that have been broken or set in such ridiculous ways the rules just kind of write themselves you know the fans kind of come up with these rules yeah i don't know i don't know who set the rule but it's not a fan thing i think i think 50 and 50 even i think the first time it happened when rocket richard did it it was like I wasn't alive and I don't have any newspaper clippings, but I, I, I think it was a big enough deal where um, everyone talked about it or everyone mentioned it. And then the next time it happened, let me see here. It was 36 years later mm. and it was Mike Bossy in 80-81. Rest and in he, peace, by the way. Rest in peace. That's right. Uh, recently passed away, uh, battled cancer. I never got to see him really play. You know, I I didn't, not even really, I did not get to see Mike Bossy play, but everything I've seen of him, all the documentaries and whatnot, and people talking about him, just made his money scoring goals, man. You can't, you can't hate a player and, like that. And could have scored way more if health, if his knees Absolutely. and his back held up. Just terrible. Absolutely. Um, fun, funnish fact, in 80-81 when he did it, he got his 50th in the 50th game. Um, Charlie Simmer of the Kings. Both So both Bossy and, and Simmer played their 50th game on the same day. Mm. And Simmer started with 46 and Bossy 48. Bossy got two goals and got it. Simmer had a hat trick. Oh. Giving him 49 and 50. <laughs> and you know the boys were trying to get him that fourth oh, one, man. Uh, real, real bad. But that's a little interesting fact that Charlie Simmer of the Kings. Marcel was probably like taking slap shots, <laughs> trying to aim it off of his butt, or something. which he Charlie scored a lot like that, by the way. Yeah. Um, but you know, all that that seemed like a fun race. But then in eighty one, eighty two, the very next season, fifty and thirty nine. 
61 and 50 by Wayne Gretzky. Man. And then he did it the next two, or the, in 83, 84, he did it 50 and 42. In 84, 85, he did 50 and 49. And next person to do it was Lemieux, 50 and 46. See, this is what I'm saying. When you have a guy do it for multiple seasons, I think at some point someone in the press came out and was like, okay, okay, okay. Let's let's make this really clear. It has to be, you know, first 50 games, et cetera, et cetera. Because what Matthews did was, one was not in obviously in the first 50 games of the season, but in a stretch of 50 yes. games in the middle yes. of the season, he scored 50 goals, which I think is still ridiculously impressive. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, that level of consistency across any 50 game period is tremendous. And he's been hurt the last couple of games, I think, or they've been giving him some rest or something like that, which is why he hasn't gotten to 60 yet. Um, I can't imagine they don't give him the opportunity unless he's tremendous, like he's really, really hurt to at least get back in there and get 60. Yeah. Uh, he had Matthews 51 and 50 between games 18 and 67. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, there's Listen to the names who have done this, by the way. Teimu Salani, 92-93, mm-hmm. that monstrosity of a season he had. Uh, 51 and 50. Midseason, Brett Hull, 89-90, uh, 50 and 50 between games 24-73. Bernie Nichols, in the that masterful 88-89 season he had with the Kings, had a 51 mm-hmm. and 50 game, and he missed it because he's he did it in game three, or he started that streak in game three. Mm. Um, Mario Lemieux, Yari Curry, Charlie Simmer. Uh, Phil Esposito. Charlie did it in. Listen to this, man. Charlie Simmer did it in between games two and fifty-one. <laughs> it's not fair. It's not fair. Oh, but yeah, there man. you go. There you go. Uh, just a weird but fun little rule, I guess, or a little. I don't. It's not a rule, right? It's like it's, a, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's not like a. There's no award. There's nothing. There's it's, nothing. It's just it's a recognition. Yeah, it's like a stupid thing. <laughs> But it's so great at the same time. Yeah, it's I, a stupid I like it. great thing. I like it. I'm a big fan of it. It's it's like a it, it's not even a, it's not a streak. It's not a I don't know how to define it. It's like a I don't know. It's like a, a goal a scoring merit. benchmark. Yeah, it's a it's a merit badge. Just like kind of fifty goals is like a goal scoring benchmark in many ways. Right. Um I wonder if guys have it written into their contract. I wonder if Matthews has written into his contract. Like if I ever get 50 and 50, I'm getting a $5 million bonus. Man, he's he's phenomenal, dude. He's such a phenomenal player. He is. Every, every, I've, I, again, I don't get a chance to watch too many Toronto games, but that team is just structured in a way to to bring out the best in all of those guys. And even without that, like he's just he, – his skill set is so good. He's so good at this thing. And uh, he, and I don't know how much of this is just Toronto media hype, but like there's even like this, this small incremental push to be like, have you seen his defensive play? Like, have, have we considered him for a Selkie? And it's like, okay, guys, just pump the brakes here. But like apparently his defensive metrics are not no, ridiculously like, terrible. It, it, for Yeah, yeah. But because he's a... Uh... 
it's hard to find players these days that came up in in kind of the new age of hockey development that will be that porous defensively. It just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. You know, I think Ovi's the <laughs> Ovi might be the last relic of that last dying breed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's so great just as a hockey fan that he even did this midseason. Yeah. Because if you think like the last time it happened, like we said, is ninety two, ninety three. It's wild, man. That's, That's 30 wild. years ago. The, the guy's got 58 goals in 70 games. That in and of itself is just ridiculous to me. It is. And just that gap is just amazing to me. Because before 92-93, it happened in 89-90. Before that, it happened in 88-89. Before that, it happened in 87-88. So, like, yeah. all of a sudden, scoring goes down, right? Right. And now you're the seeing devils, The devils start winning <laughs> <Yeah>. cups. <laughs> now, <laughs> correlation now is... Uh, yeah, unavoidable. And then suddenly, thirty years later, someone does it mid-season. Yeah, remember it's when great. we were, it's, remember it's when we were giving Rocket Richard trophies for scoring forty-one goals in the season? Remember those That's times? Right. Who was that? Jerome uh, and Rick Nash. I think they both did it in the same season. Forty-one goals. Or maybe wow. it was Saint Louis. I can't remember, but like those, like Saint Louis was getting the Hart Trophy for <laughs> ninety-two points in a season or something stupid like that. You're like. Meanwhile, now Huberdeau's got his 111th point. Right. It's, just, it's good. I don't know. It's good for yeah. the game. Um, it is there great was, for the game. There was a record number of – I'm pretty sure this was the – there was a stretch of time in the last few weeks where it was the most goals scored in the NHL. Yeah. Since 92-93, I want to say that. Maybe. Mag- that magical season. There was – so last – it might have been last night or the night before was one of the – I can't remember if it was the first time this has happened, but there were teams that scored one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine goals across all the games. That's just, just, just think about how. Again, it's nothing. It means nothing. It's a completely stupid stat or factoid. But like, when you stop and you think about that, the odds of that happening. Are just crazy. <laughs> it is wild. It is wild. Um, there was a see. bunch of like eight goal, nine goal games this week. Like the Kings contributed to that. I'm not. I'm not proud to admit. But you know. So so through what was it? This last weekend, teams are averaging three point one goals per game. And nice of the Kings to drag that average down, yeah. maybe. If that holds, it will be the highest NHL goal average since 95-96, 3.14. So that's a uh, good lord. The yeah. Panthers alone are averaging 4.1, 4.16. Insane. And that's the highest since the 95-96 Penguins, 4.41. Off the top of my head, you know who was on that team? The 95-96 Pens? You're talking about some of the greatest Six players Hall to ever play the game. So, yeah, crazy. Um, Austin Matthews is averaging two goals for every 60 minutes of five-on-five five play, the highest average in the last 12 seasons. <laughs> These are some and, insane numbers. And and that's not even including all the power play goals he scores. You're right. talking five-on-five. Five. Right. God, it must be fun to be a Toronto fan right now. Until so, the playoffs, of course, and then, I, you know. I got one Misery more. awaits you. Okay, I got go one more fun stat. Saturday, this past Saturday, there were 101 goals scored in 14 games. 
the second highest or sorry, only the second day in league history to feature over 100, 100 goals. 103 January 1993 that magical season. God, what a season. What a season. Just insane numbers, everyone having a good time. Kings going to the finals. Man, anyway. Maybe maybe it's written, buddy. Maybe it's going to happen again. What this season? <laughs> maybe the magic's going to continue and the Kings will be at the heart of it all. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Scoring their 2.1 goals a game. This is where we get off the crazy train. <laughs> but it is, it's awesome, man. And I hope it continues. I hope it's not just like some one outlier season. Yeah. Just keep it Dude, going. Let's bet people, the overs. Let's hit the people, overs, boys. People were so up in arms and upset when, I'm going to bring it back to the Kings here, but they were so up in arms and upset when Colorado like put an eight spot on, what was it, eight or nine? I forget nine. now. Nine, nine, that's right. When they put a nine spot on us, I was I was like zero percent upset because I was like, okay, they were gonna, come on, this was an L before we started this, right? I was just some of those goals were terrible, to be fair, but at the same time, I was just like, man, they're just so damn good. Watching Makar and McKinnon, like they were just doing whatever they wanted to. The beauty, the beauty of that game is once you know it's out of hand at the four fifth goal, yeah, you could just kind of sit back and just kind of appreciate appreciate the Avalanche. Why not? I have no ill will towards the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah. So if they're gonna pump us for nine, at least I'm watching that game, and it's like there's some goals finally. There's some goals going on in hockey. It's at the expense of our baby boys, but whatever. There will come a time. Where the Kings are dropping eight or nine on someone, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, hopefully four. this continues, Vardy. Hopefully I'll, this, I'll take a four or five. This <laughs> upward trajectory. We had a five last week. That's right. And I loved it. I okay, was really the King, happy. I think the Kings' magic number is seven. When they get to seven, you know shit's crazy. Yeah. This is a crazy wild game. So I'm sure the Kings will drop seven on somebody at some point. It's, it's so insane for the Kings to score goals that that last – I think it was against Columbus – when they had that beautiful tic-tac-toe kind of passing play with Moore and uh, Arvidsson. Oh, yeah, that no-look And the no-look to... Forehand that, drop by Arvid. That, that look on Deneau's face after that goal, that's the look that all of us will have if the Kings ever drop a nine spot yeah. on anyone. That's right. Colorado does that, like, every shift. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't even they, smile. They, they were just like, it's, like, it's a regular boring. Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. When your defensemen are putting up 85 points in a season. That's, <laughs> that's the kind of life you lead as a Colorado Avalanche player. Man, how important was it to get McCarr for that team? Dude. It changes the entire dynamic of your team. Crazy. Yeah. And to think you don't even need Bo and Byram to be, like, amazing. You're just like, be a solid second-pairing guy, man. We'll be happy. <laughs> that's right. Or, or the other, you know... Three guys they have that could be just a top drafting man. Drafting. I'm I'm still waiting for the Kings to have that guy, that dude who comes in and within the first season make that Dowdy Kopitar level impact. Just show up and be like, oh, we got a good one here, you know. How did Colorado get McCarr? Fourth overall. Yeah, they were they they were bad that season. They were really bad. Remember? But were they good the year before? 
Was it one of those situations where they just randomly sucked for one season? Oh, like like a Philly situation where they had one terrible year? No, I don't think so, man. They were bad. McKinnon was like only putting up 60 points a season or something for a little bit when, when Wall was coaching them. They were not good for a couple of years. I feel like even that McKinnon season was like the one random outlier. Well, I can't remember. Let's, we got to look it up. I think we owe it to our fans. That's right. Who hopefully haven't turned the podcast off yet. <laughs> They're like, stop talking about other teams. Yeah. Start talking more about the Kings. It's like, come on, guys. You know what you're getting with the Kings. <laughs> we covered it. I think we got yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to find – Wikipedia usually has a, a season-by-season record. Oh, I'm already on hockey reference. Let's see here. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. They were not Mitch. good, man. No, they were not. Yeah, okay, 16-17. They were 22-56. and 56. Yeah, they were 7. They were 7th in their division, 6th in their division, 7th in their division. But then in 13-14, they were 1st. Remember that one great season Wall had? Yes. And it and all it, it all, all terrible from there. Went to shit. They went from 112 points to 90. They went from 90 to 82. They went from 82 to 48. Yeah, they didn't make the playoffs for three straight Good seasons. Lord, I remember that season, that 22 and 56 season. Yeah. Woof. Good Lord. And McKinnon, I forget when he got drafted, but look, aside from like the one time that they made the first round in 13 14, like you said, no, no playoffs three seasons before then, no playoffs three seasons after then. Mm-hmm. That's how it happens, man. And they finished. Sixth, si- they finished seventh, sixth, and seventh in the division three years in a row 14, 15, 15, 16, 16, 17. Yeah, and 17. That's how eights. it happens. And when was he drafted? Uh, I think 16, 17. I'll, I'll tell you right now 2017, fourth overall pick. And that is how it happens. And that's how it happens. And I think McKinnon was maybe three, four years before that. In that little gap that they had of terribleness. Yeah, that sounds about right. 2013. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. Rantanen. It's kind of Rantanen. They got all those guys during that window of suck. Landis Cog is like (laughs) third fiddle behind those guys, you know, fourth fiddle. Remembers like good days. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So. I mean, it's not, right. is it, it's not that different than what happened with the Kings, right? Except the Kings ended up getting Kopitar with the 11th pick. And the Avalanche struck gold, basically, with all of their first-round picks for several years in a row. Yeah. And they the made Kings, some shrewd moves. The Kings, they got rid I of think, Duchesne. The Kings hit on two big first-rounders. I think everything else was just gems, right? Like mm-hmm. quick, getting him late. And I don't know if you could call Dustin Brown a hit, but... I mean, I'm sure in that draft functional. class, he, he ranks, well, that was a pretty good draft class. <laughs> that was a <laughs> tremendous draft class. Probably the greatest he's, first He's round. played longer than a lot of those guys. He's, yes. Even though maybe his numbers are not as gaudy as some of those guys, he's played a, like Ryan Getzlaff, who's now retiring at the end of the season, was in that draft class. Corey Perry was in that draft class. Jeff Carter. Uh, Mike Richards. I mean, that stacked. Yeah. Stacked. So, you know, you got to give credit where it's due. And he had... Strong seasons certainly helped the team win cups, so I, I consider that a hit for sure. So I guess yeah, yeah I guess Kepi I just mean now, they, you you can't. It's just hard to compare it to hits like McKinnon, McCarr, Ranton, and Byron. Yeah, <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's nasty. Yeah, exactly. Like 
Adrian Kempe's probably going to get 35 goals this season. Yeah, he's a hit. He's, but it took years to actually okay. show that, right? It wasn't like Kale McCarr, Nathan McKinnon, three, four seasons in. Actually, McKinnon slumped off the third, fourth season. But you know what I mean. Like yeah. it's, it took some time were, to be that player. Were you the one telling me that he's Kempe's probably in the top three players drafted in that draft? Now? Yep. Statistically in the speaking. first three rounds, if you if you look in the first three rounds of the of that draft, Adrian Kempe is. I think a top three productive player in that draft. And I have to, I'll remind myself who the other two are. Um, but without question, he's, he's, he's a hit from that draft. Crazy. I will, I will, Crazy to think yeah. that. Yeah. yeah so he's in the 24 in that draft. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, Sam Bennett, Aaron Eckblad, right? Yeah. Sim Reinhardt, dry Seidel. Larkin at 15. And then, yeah. Pasternak at and 25. Then Ehlers, mm -hmm. Fiala. So some of these guys are like late blooming, right? Like Fiala was a good player, but I think he was the player he was, you know, with Nashville. That right now he's with Minnesota. He's a much better player, I think. But then there's a bunch of guys, you know, like Milano. He hasn't quite panned out. Alex Tuck is now turning into that player. Tony D'Angelo. Yeah. Braden I mean, point in the third round. That's a... Uh that's that's what i mean but like some people will sit there and be like oh adrian kempe what a what a what a bust as a first round pick i'm like look at some of these guys who got drafted ahead of him in the first round there's there's no other i guess so i should clarify what i was i wasn't saying that he's a top three player from that what i was saying was from that position onward the kings took him 29th overall oh i see what he's you mean. like there was no there was no better player unless you're going to reach to like Braden point in the third round, but in terms of like the players that they could have drafted between yeah, him and Braden yeah. point, there's no better player unless you really want to make a case for, uh, I don't know. I mean, Dem Brendan Lemieux was a 31st overall pick. Demko. That's your Demko. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Like, but in terms of productive players, look at the second round, dude, there's no one there. That's, that's really worth even making that comparison to. No. There isn't really anything past Braden Point. Yeah, Christian Dvorak. I mean, oh, he was reasonably well, productive. Victor Arvidsson <laughs> at one twelve. But again, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's you're who's going to take Victor Arvidsson in the first round? Is yeah, my point. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, good point. I think, I think he's he's a solid right because then you can make the point of like, oh well. Sorokin at 78 they should have taken him no one's taken Sorokin first in the first round I just want to say how crazy it is that Arvidsson and Kempe were in the same draft and yet right it feels like Arvidsson is like four years older than him <laughs> it's such an odd it just feels like Arvidsson's been in the league so long yeah but he's yeah crazy Mike Amadio also in that draft Vili Husso also in that draft yeah so that that was that was the only point I was making is that to say that Adrian Kempe is a as a bust as a first round pick, even before this season that he's been having, I think that's that's criminally wrong. Yeah. Because no one's gonna take some of these other more productive players who got drafted in the third round with the 29th overall pick. But if you look at the second round picks, there's not very many names that you can make an argument should have been taken ahead of Kempe if you read this draft. 
I think Kempe would move up in the first round if you redo this draft. Agreed. So. All right. Good note to end it on. A very <laughs> random tangent that we went on, but that's what we do. And that's why you love us. Yeah. Please so you already you already dedicated this episode to hold on, hold on, hold on. So you already dedicated this episode to Jonathan Quick. Had to do but it. But who would you say amongst all NHL players to wear the number eighty three? Wait, is there are there kings who wore eighty three? No no kings. No okay, kings good. have worn eighty three. Okay. But there are NHL players who have worn eighty three. Yes. Um man, I gotta think about it. The first one that comes to mind is Hemsky. Alex Hemsky. He's the one. Okay, he's the only one. That's no, he's not there. the only one, but he's the one that matters. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, he yeah. he comes to mind immediately. Yeah, I guess Jay Beagle wore it for there you go, Jay Beagle. a little bit. And uh, uh, I'll, I'll take a look here. But Hemsky's by far the... Was Hemsky in that? Hemsky was with uh, Spezza and them. Hemsky was in that draft. Probably. I remember the rookie yeah. cards when we used to yeah. collect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cards are right. big again, by the way, buddy. They are. I'm not. I'm not even about to dip a toe in that water. It's treacherous, <laughs> from what I recall. Yes. All right. <laughs> All right. So, I think that wraps it up here. We'll try to squeeze another episode in here uh, at the end of the regular season, regardless of whether or not the Kings make the playoffs. It'll either be a, a, a autopsy report on the on the end of the season, or it'll be a prepping for the playoffs. Either way. Uh, we're excited to do it. We're excited for this last stretch of games here. Uh, appreciate everyone uh, keeping up the Twitter banter. Like, subscribe. Uh, we are found wherever fine podcasts are curated and also some places where not so fine podcasts are curated. So uh, keep us in your ear holes. We'll be back in a few weeks. Go Kings, go. You've been listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast.